Okay, kids, we'll dismiss you for your session. Over the next, well, this Sunday and next Sunday, uh, we'll be going over First and Second Samuel. And again, we're just doing overviews of these books as we're reading through the the Bible together in the program of reading through the Bible in a year. So each week we're trying to draw from uh, where some of the reading has come from, either just before or just during or maybe just a little after sometimes. But uh, we're trying to stay in the same zone uh, as uh, the reading is. And so today we're going to be looking at First Samuel and the next Sunday, Second Samuel. Today we're going to focus on looking at uh, King Saul and uh, next Sunday will be a focus on, on David. So uh, what we're looking at is, is if you look at, at 1 Samuel, uh, I borrowed from uh, one of Jensen's study guides. I don't know how you're familiar you are with those. They come and they've got all sorts of different kinds of study guides and map books and different things that are great tools. And uh, they, they had a, a, a nine-point outline that they said, you know, take a look at this before you read through the the uh, book, and it was uh, just breaking it up to to see the things that you would be looking at. So as you read through First Samuel, you'd be looking at in the first uh, few chapters the birth of Samuel, Samuel, uh, and then a discussion about the Ark of the Lord. In fact, quickly looking at the birth of Samuel. Um, the, the the awesomeness of what God was doing there. Uh, Hannah had no children. God blessed her uh, and uh, allowed her to have a child that she had committed before his birth to the ministry, to to being in the priesthood. And 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 she, she, when he was still a little child, he was given over to Eli, the the priest and and the judge at the time. You know, we go through the book of Judges, and there's two more judges than are in the book of Judges, Eli and Samuel, Samuel being the last judge. And uh, so he he served in the temple from, from his youth, uh, and his name was Samuel. And uh, so... Uh, that's what happens in those first few chapters. And then, and then while he's growing up and, and things are going on, the, the Hebrew people are constantly having battles with the Philistines. They're their arch enemy. It's just back and forth, back and forth, up and down. And uh, during this, they record uh, some of the fighting that was going on. And in, in chapter uh, 4 through 7, they were talking about it. And they, they, they had this brilliant idea. They weren't doing well in their battle. They said, ah, but we've got something they don't have. We have the Ark of the Covenant. And so they took the Ark of the Covenant out of the, 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 the uh, tabernacle and they brought it out to, to the battlefield and, and thinking that that would uh, allow them to win. And they still lost. And not only did they lose, but guess what happened? They lost the Ark. 
Who, who said that? Who's teaching children back there? Uh, and and uh, they, they, the ark was uh, taken by them. However, the ark being something that is God had built in the sense He had it built, He had the specifications, it had the things of God in there the, and the commandments in there and stuff. You know, it's a special thing that, that, that really belongs in the tabernacle, that didn't belong in the battlefield. And what the, the people didn't understand was, we don't, you, you don't need trophies or items to come over here. What you need is a relationship with God to make things work. It's not going to just work because it's, it's something that's special. And so, uh, God allowed it to be taken. But the Philistines weren't particularly thrilled about what happened to them after taking it. There was a plague that hit them and boils and sores and, and, and difficulties. And guess what they did? They said, you can have it back. And they gave it back to Israel. Uh, the uh, Samuel uh, becomes uh, anointed and becomes a judge. And, and then we get to the point where I will pick up today uh, in in chapter uh, eight and nine, um, just a second here. In chapter eight, the people have decided that the reason why they are not as successful as some of the nations around them is we don't have a king. Now the irony of all of this is that they had the Lord Jehovah as their king, as their as their their head, but because they would would were distanced from them. Remember what happened at the end of of of, of Joshua? It said they they were all doing their own thing. Well, this continued to be a problem off, up and down, up and down, up and down, all through Judges, as you recall, and and so. Here we are starting off in this one, and it's and it's they're still at a distance in their relationship with God, but they think what will solve their problem is if they have a king like everybody else has. Samuel's not thrilled about this. He petitions God, and God says, Let them have what they ask for. But warn them. And in chapter 8, which you'll pick up around the, the 10th verse, he warns them of the things that happen when you have a king leading you and guiding and directing. But then the Lord grants the request, and that's where Saul comes into the picture. If you read through chapter 9, you'll find that he was somewhat unique in that he had great stature or height. He was a head taller. That means that people, the average people were coming up to his shoulder. Okay? He was a tall guy. And, and he was apparently good looking and it was just the epitome of everything that you would say would, wow, I bet you he'd make a good king. Uh, and, and, uh, he was chosen and, and, and called to be the king. Uh, and initially in his kingship, if you look through chapters you know, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, along in there, uh, Saul had generally good success. 
Well, let me look at chapter 14 and uh, uh, the very last few verses of chapter 14. When, uh, gives a kind of a summary of this. When Saul had taken the kingship over Israel, he fought against all the enemies on every side. Against Moab, against the Ammonites, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah, and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he routed them. And he did valiantly and struck the Amalekites and delivered Israel out of the hands of those who plundered them. Now, at this point, you can think the, the people are probably saying, See, we told you. Now, the sons of Saul were Jonathan, Ishvah, and Melchah, Shua. And the names of his two daughters were these. Uh, the name of the firstborn was Merah, and the name of the second one was Michael, or Michael, some pronounce it. And the name of Saul's wife was that name there, uh, <laughs> Ahinoam, I guess, the daughter of Imahaz, and the name of the commander of his army was Abner. Now, there's an easy one. Uh, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Ebiel. There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached himself he attached him to himself. In other words, he'd see a valiant fighter. He'd see somebody that was really, uh, in you know, good or or had the potential. He would bring him in and 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 make him part of his team. And uh, so he was back and forth with the Philistines. The they they didn't get conquered by them, but but there was constant battle, constant fighting, and you could see that that. Uh, Saul was, was quite the valiant leader in battle. And, and, and so the, the people probably are in some ways are, are, are thinking, well, we, we, if it weren't for Saul, we would, we would be lost. In the midst of all this, I want you to understand, as you go through and do a study on Saul and his character, you find out that he's got a, a set, you might say, a sense of arrogance about him. Very confident in his self-esteem. And with this success, he basically is saying, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm in control. I've got it covered. So, we have this, this picture of Saul's success. Now, that puts us at chapter 15. Chapter 15 is the pivotal chapter in 1 Samuel. And within the framework of this chapter, we see a tremendous transition go on. So I want to look at it in a little bit of detail here. Samuel comes to Saul, chapter 15, verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Now, in other words, he said, I'm the one that anointed you. I'm the one the Lord sent to you. Now, listen to what God says through me. Now, Samuel was a priest. He was a prophet. And he was the judge 
before the king was appointed. Thus says the Lord, this is what the Lord is saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have not noted that Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail about the battles and stuff like that, but when it said all that they have, it literally meant all that they have, including their livestock, everything. You take nothing. You put everything to the sword and destroy it. That's what the Lord says. Samuel brings the people together. And we find in verse 7, it says, Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havala as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. But then listen to what he does. He took Adog, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people, Saul and the people, just keep that little phrase in the back of your head here. And the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. You see what they did? Saul and the people, Saul and his men, they decided. This is stuff, is this, there's too much value in all this stuff. It's like somebody whispered into to, to Saul's ear, you can't afford to let this go to waste, you know. Think of what it will do for the economy. And, and so, you know, basically the idea was, you gotta, we, we gotta keep this stuff. And, it's clear that Saul is in agreement with this. There isn't any arm twisting going on here. It says Saul and the people. Okay, keep that in mind. Kept they, and why did they keep Agag alive? Back in those days, that was one of the things that people liked to do, the enemies liked to do to cap, when they captured a king, was to keep him alive to humiliate him. Doesn't say anything about that here, but that was a thing that was done back then. I'm, I'm assuming that at this point, Saul is full of himself and says, I'm going to make Agag just regret the day he was born. Verse 10, chapter 15. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. Now, the word regret here is a, is, is a word that's difficult. Some of your Bibles are going to say, I, 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 in the sense that somehow they imply that God changed his mind about making him king. It's that he grieved. Now, that doesn't mean God made a mistake in his overall plan. He had a reason for letting Hebrew people have their king. And he warned them that things were going to change when they got their king and it wasn't going to be like what they, they thought it was going to be. So don't, you know, but he let things progress in a particular way 
And I suggest to you today that he even does that in our lives. He allows certain things to happen. It's not that he wants them to happen to us in the sense that he makes them happen to us, but he allows it to run its course in order to get our attention. How many of you have maybe heard the the, the idea, then I had my wake-up call? Okay? I don't know how many times I've listened to somebody's testimony and then they they come to that point and they say, then I had my wake-up call. And God, I started to see God for the first time. God allows our sin to run its course if that's what we choose. So, we have the word of the Lord coming through Sam, coming to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning and it was told Samuel Saul came to Carmel uh, Carmel, and, 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 and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. What did he do? He went to Mount Carmel and, and, and that, that's a place of worship for the Hebrew people. And he put up a monument, not to God, to himself. How detailed a monument? Does this mean a statue or anything? It doesn't say. It just says that what it basically says is that when people pass by and they come here to worship and to pray, oh, and thank you for Saul, <laughs> you know, something to that effect. He didn't go up there to pray. He didn't go up there to worship. He went up there to build a monument to himself. So Samuel comes to Saul, verse thirteen, and says to him. And now you're going to have a number of these. Saul said, Samuel said. Saul said, uh, Samuel said. Okay. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. I did what God told me to do. Now, I don't know whether he's trying to... We don't get the idea of whether he's trying to buffalo here or, or just out and out lie. But either way, he, he's not being honest, really. And so Samuel says, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowering of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen hmm, to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Thinks fast on his feet. He says, I've done all that the Lord said to do. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Okay, Samuel? Samuel says, wait a minute, I hear the bleeding of sheep and 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 I hear the oxen. Could have been any sheep. It could have been any oxen. But Saul's heart was pierced by that. And he comes up with an excuse. He says, oh yeah, we, we, we kept the good stuff. But we kept it to sacrifice to the Lord. This is the first time we hear about this. Okay, 
So this is his first run of excuse. We kept it to sacrifice to the Lord. But you notice how he says it. The Lord, your God. It was drawn out in a number of the commentaries that I looked up in this and, and, and read. He didn't say the Lord, our God, or the Lord, my God. He said the Lord, your God, the one, the God you represent. This doesn't say that, 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 that Saul was, was out worshiping other gods. I, I, I don't know where he is with that context. I think more than anything else, he was worshiping himself. And, and he wasn't in a close relationship with the Lord. And so he says, the Lord, your God. Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And so Saul says to Samuel, he says, Speak! And Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Samuel's seen right through this. He says, you took the spoil because and when he uses the word spoil, that tells you that that's the way that Saul actually saw it, was the spoils of war. This is the stuff we get to keep. And Saul says to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I have brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and, and, and have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But, now listen to this new excuse. The people took of the spoil. What did it say before? Saul and the people? Okay, just keep that in mind. The sheep and the oxen, the best of things, devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord a great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, here is the key to all of this, really, right here. To obey is better than sacrifice. There's, there's a whole sermon in this, a whole series of sermons in that phrase. But the essence of it is, you can go to church every Sunday, you can, you can tithe, you can double tithe, you can triple tithe, you can be the most generous person in the world, world in the sense of, of, of what you do to help the needy, but if your relationship with God is out of sync, the offerings don't mean anything. Does that make sense to you? I hope it does. What we, what God cares about first and foremost is our relationship with Him. We can see the break in that relationship. The Lord your God, Samuel. Not the Lord our God or the Lord my God. And so all of the offerings you could bring, if you had all of the world to offer, it wouldn't be enough to bring a stable relationship between you and the Lord. But Samuel is, 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 Saul is found caught here. And Samuel says, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen 
than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. Do you see what he's called Saul's behavior? What did he use? The word here? Rebellion. You've got to pick up on these words as you go through here because it tells you the condition of Saul's heart. He's in rebellion. Samuel is a prophet, a priest, and, and, and the last of the judges. You know, he's not the, the, in leadership in that role anymore because there is a king. But, and he is making a, a, a statement of, of clarity here. You are in rebellion. And he says, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Presumption, you know, to presume that I know what is best. That's where, where Saul was coming from. I know what God said, but <laughs> this makes more sense. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord... He has also rejected you from being king. Like I said, this is a transition chapter. Saul's kingship was, had gone up like this. He had been a, a, a warrior king. He defeated so many of his enemies, pushed them back. But he was doing it in his own strength. He saw a strong man, he'd enlist him. You see, you know, he'd, all of his, doesn't say anywhere he prayed to the Lord. And the only time we hear him talk about the Lord, he says, The Lord, your God, Samuel. Go on and look at this. Saul says to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people. Now notice he'd already said, No, it wasn't me that did this, it was the people that did this. That was his last excuse in reference to why they had all the spoils. Now he says in in his confession, "Your words, I feared the people and obeyed their voice. I listened to them instead of God." Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, "I will not return with you." For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. That's a powerful statement. He won't recognize the, the confession. Why? Well, if he's a priest and he's, and he's a prophet, he sees the heart of, Sam, of Saul he knows what's going on there. He's already called him rebellious, and he's all you know. And basically, he's saying here, "I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not receiving this." As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. Samuel 
Samuel's walking away and he lunges out and grabs a hold of his robe and he, he pulled it back hard enough to tear it. That's a pretty good yank, folks. I want you to understand that. Seized that idea of grabbed a hold of strongly. He seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said to, to, to Saul, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also, the glory of Israel will not lie or have, uh, have regret, for he has not... Uh, the glory of Israel is God, by the way. The glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. In other words, in this case, he, it's, there's nothing, he hasn't changed his mind about what he has done, because he, he's not like a man that changes his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, Saul speaking, Yet honor me now before the elders of my people. Do you understand what he's asking for here? He says, I have sinned in front of all my people. Come to me before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. In other words, he's saying, come with me in front of all the people and receive my confession and put your hand back on me is basically what he's saying. And, and make a show to all the people that I am the man of God I'm supposed to be and you're, you're blessing me. So listen here. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring here to me Agag. I'm not going to read exactly all of this. You can read it. It's a little... Gory, but Agog meets his end. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gilbah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul, God, the Lord grieved also, that he had made Saul king over Israel. I don't even have time to go on to the to the rest of, of of the story of Samuel's life or Saul's life other than David picks in in chapter 16 and the things transition Saul's going downhill David will soon be going uphill and uh Saul's ultimate end is, is shows that he, he got nothing out of all of this transition. And it shows the, the, the reality that his confession and his act before the Lord and, 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 and trying to get Samuel to, to recognize him in front of all the people and all of this meant nothing. Chapter 31 of 1 Samuel. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons, and the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Amminadab and 
Malchashua, the sons of Saul. The battle pressed hard against Saul, and the archers found, uh, found him, and he was badly wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armbearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it. He wouldn't do it. And ultimately, Saul falls on his sword himself. But just before this, Samuel had done something that brings this end. Chapter 28, verse 8, it says, Saul disguised himself, put on other garments, and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by, by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done. How has he has cut off the mediums of the, and the necromancers from the land? Why then are you laying a trap for me? In other words, she's saying, I know who you are. But what was Saul doing? He was going to a medium, a, 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 a necromancer, a, a, a fortune teller. And he asked, I want you to call up who of all people? Samuel. And Samuel prophesies his death. Saul, talk about dropping down to the bottom. And so I was looking at, 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 at all of this and saying, you know, trying to, 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 to say, okay, what do I want to learn from Saul? And I thought, not much. And then I thought, wait a minute. Can we learn by someone's mistakes? I mean, I've made a lot more mistakes than I have success. And I feel that they've been able to teach too. And I went back and I looked at chapter 15, verse 22. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And it reminded me, and I, I, I just what I thought was, Saul is in this predicament because of his own doing. He's not, he's not here because of the people. He's not here because of the Philistines. He's here because of what he has done. And I thought of him as trapped in his, in, in his own doings, for lack of better words. 